we are moving back into what uh, we began two weeks ago. And uh, it, it really is uh, a response to the question, is God really good? There are times when you may wonder if he really is good. And a lot will depend upon the circumstances under which you find yourself at a given time. You may be going through some severe trials, some very difficult times of testing, temptation, maybe significant loss, and in your mind, you raise the question, is God really good? If we wanted to answer that very briefly, we could say that we as followers of Christ know that he's good and we can build our lives on the fact that he's good for one reason. We are identified with his son, Jesus Christ. And the father loves the son more than we will ever fully grasp. Therefore, all that he brings into our lives is going to be a reflection of his love for the son, which by extension becomes love for us as followers of Christ. And as a result, all things work together for good. Now, that would be a logical answer that we could glean from Scripture, but the Lord's given us more than that. He's opened up for us a brief window through which we can look to see exactly why it is that we can be absolutely confident that every event that takes place in the life of a believer, the life of a follower of Christ, is designed for the purpose of good. Would you kindly go back in your Bibles once again to Romans, the 8th chapter. And for those of you who may not have been with us when we went through this uh, first segment, uh, I'm going to go back and just repeat some of the things briefly so that you, you kind of get the, the flow of where we've been. Why is it that believers can be absolutely certain that God is working all things together for good? And the first reason is because of God's purpose. Now, God has established a purpose from eternity past. And for our minds, our finite minds, we find it very, very difficult to lay hold of eternity, uh, especially eternity past. But in that timeless realm, God, in the three persons, purposed to do certain things with the creation that would be brought into being, even to the point that there would be the determination of Christ being crucified before the world was ever created. And we know that. We know that the, the plan that God had established for the redemption of lost sinners and for the payment of our sin had been determined before creation ever came about. And that tells us very clearly that the sacrifice of Christ was never a response to an emergency. It was never uh, an answer to something that had been unanticipated. This was part of God's plan, part of his program, part of the purpose that he had established. Within that purpose, the first thing that we are led to in this passage is that the Father has determined to give all that he chooses to the Son. 
Now, for us to understand that, we look back at the, the uh, portion here at the last part of verse 28, where it says, uh, you know what, I'm going to read the whole verse so you get the flow. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God calls people according to his purpose. Now, this sometimes becomes a difficult issue with which people have to deal, but it is true that God does not become servant to the decision-making process of mankind. What I mean by that is God did not look down through the, the passage of time and say, well, oh, I see so-and-so will accept Christ, and I see so-and-so will accept Christ, and I see so-and-so will accept Christ. Therefore, I know in advance now who is going to be a follower of Christ. Well, if that were true, then the fact of the matter is God would become servant to us. He would become servant to our decision-making process. And, and I realize that this is a struggle and, and I want to throw this in as the balance. Does a person have to decide to follow Christ, to choose to accept Him as their Savior, to trust in His death, His burial, and His resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins? And the answer is yes. There has to be the human response to the truth of the gospel. But here's what we know. No one is going to respond unless God calls them. And the reason God is calling individuals to be followers of Christ is because he made a determination that he would give as gifts those who put their faith and trust in Christ according to his sovereign will. Now let me take you back to a passage in the Old Testament that may help make this a little more clear. In Isaiah chapter 46, listen carefully as I read verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declares, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. What part of that don't we understand? What part doesn't make sense to us? God determines. God purposes. And he does according to his will all that he purposes and chooses to do. His foreknowledge is his predetermination of what is going to happen in the realm of mankind. It does not mean that we don't have choices to make. We do. But our choices have to be made within the realm of who he has called us to be. Part of the body of Christ. 
I'm going to look at that in just a moment. But I want you first to understand this. That your personal faith in Christ is for the purpose of making you a gift to God the Son. We are not the highest objective in God's plan. God the Son is the highest objective in God the Father's plan. And it is only because of our relationship with the Son that we even have hope for eternity. It's because the Father loves the Son. Listen to what John declared for us in John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking here and he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. By the way, does that give you a sense of security? This idea, I am hanging on to Christ, is nonsense. You don't hang on to Christ. He hangs on to us. And when we come to Him in faith and trust Christ as our Savior, the reality is we are secure in Him. And people will say, oh, well, that means you can go on singing. Uh, singing, yeah, go ahead, sing. Um, no, you, you, you know what I meant. You, you can't go on sinning because genuine conversion changes the heart. And it changes what you want to do. And if there is no change, if you live exactly the same after you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the fact of the matter is you don't know Him as your Savior. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Drop down to verse 44 of chapter 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What part of that don't we understand? Do you know elsewhere in Scripture it says, no man seeks after God? And I hear testimonies that go something like this. Well, I was seeking for God. And that would be an appropriate response of someone who said, you know, I was going through the process of really trying to find out who the true God really is. And, and you could say that from the human point of view. But you know who caused you to seek God? God. God did. By the way, I wouldn't want it any other way. Because if it depended on me, I could reject it all. But it doesn't. And so, what we find is that we are gifts that the Father gave to the Son. Now, let me go on to the next area, which is God purposed to make... Oh, wait, wait a minute. Did I, did I hit two buttons? God purposed to conform those he gives to Christ to his likeness. Okay? 
We, we talked about that. And, and here's where the element of our decision-making processes comes into play. God gives us freedom to make choices and decisions, and sometimes our choices are going to take us outside the realm of what He desires for our lives to bring us to the place of conformity to the image of Christ. Therefore, He will bring events into our lives that will turn us around to bring us back to, to the realm in which He wants us to move. Now, I've got all kinds of freedom in this realm and I can make choices this way and I can make choices this way but I choose to go out here which is opposed to what God wants a loving father looks at me and says wait a minute you've gone too far come on back and sometimes that requires some pretty tough issues to enter my life there are other times when tough issues enter my life that are totally unrelated to getting outside of the realm in which God wants me to live. And they are brought to me to strengthen me, to cause me to be conformed to the image of Christ. Everything that the Lord allows in the life of a believer is brought into that life for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ. And do you realize what that image is? It's the things that we want to see in the lives of all those around us as well as ourselves. Do you want to see people genuinely love each other? Do you want to love others? Do you want people to walk around with a haughty spirit? Or do you want them to live life with a humility that reflects the humility of our Savior. You, you, you know. Um, do you want to see down in the dumps, miserable Eeyore Christians? Or do you want to see people who, even though they're going through difficult times, are still filled with the joy of the Lord because they know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to follow? Isn't that what you want? Well, that's what the Lord's trying to do. He is fashioning His people to conform to the image of Christ so that in all things what you will find is Christ will become the preeminent one. He will be the firstborn among many brethren. That has nothing to do with the realm of time. It has everything to do with priority. By the way, isn't this kind of neat that the Lord makes Jesus Christ, God the Father makes Jesus Christ the pattern after which our lives are to conform. And he doesn't pick any of you. Or me. Because if you followed me, and you followed you, we'd be pretty messed up, wouldn't we? Yes! It would be tough because we know our own weaknesses. We know our own failures. We know our own tendency to sin. But you have a perfect Savior and now you've got the objective. And when it's all said and done and we're brought into the presence of Christ Himself and we see Him, we will be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. The very qualities of our life that were manifest in the person of Christ will be manifest in us in perfection. We will be people of love and of joy. We will exercise humility. We will demonstrate all of the qualities of Christ's life. And you don't have to worry about what anybody else is like. You look at Him. You fashioned your life after Him. 
Okay, good we're reviewing this, isn't it? Moving on to the next thing deals with God's plan. You notice that he had a purpose to give believers, those whom he has foreknown, to Christ, and in turn, they will have the objective of being fashioned in the the image of Christ to the point where he ultimately is recognized in totality as the preeminent one and we will be like him. But then, how are we going to do that? And here's where he gives us a plan that is demonstrated in every person's life who comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. This is without exception. There is no one who circumvents this. There's no one who comes any other way. There is an unbreakable chain of events that God established for the development of the people who would be the gift that He gives to His Son. Notice what that chain is. As you go back here to verse the, the second part of uh, Verse 28, uh, go into verse 29. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now we see this unbreakable chain. And the chain begins with the foreknowledge of God. As we talked about last week, that is not dependent upon the decisions that people would make. It is dependent solely upon the purpose for which He sets apart a people for Himself. You know who it's going to be because you've chosen who it's going to be. Just like two weeks ago we talked about how do you know where you're going for dinner after the service? It's because you've made a decision to go there. That's foreknowledge. That's exactly what it means in this passage of God's Word. So whom God had established in eternity past to be drawn to Christ as a follower of the Savior, something else happened. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of Christ. So now you have God's elective purpose and you have the goal to which that elective purpose is directed. The image of of Christ. And that is what predestination is. It's that we are moving toward the image of Christ. But how does that begin? It begins with God's calling. Oh, I'm sorry. There's predestination. You already have this filled in in your blanks, right? So you don't have to worry about it, okay? And then there is the calling. What is the call of God? The call of God is the effective work of God Himself through the Holy Spirit that convinces the mind of an individual that they are a sinner who is condemned, who is lost forever apart from Christ, and they are convinced that the only hope of forgiveness and eternal life that they can possibly have is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why did you come to Christ? I look back and I say, okay, I was afraid of going to hell. What made me afraid of going to hell? I was absolutely convinced that there was a place called hell. How come other people don't believe in hell? 
because God has not extended a call that has convinced them of that. You might have come for a different reason. You might have come to the point where you said, you know what, my life is such a mess, I do believe that there is a God, and I I am not in a right relationship with Him, and you heard about Christ and His death on the cross for your sins, and that He rose again from the dead, and you reached out in faith, turning away from your sin, called repentance, and reaching out in faith and trusting Christ as Savior. What convinced you of that? The Bible says that it's God's Holy Spirit who convicts, He convinces the mind of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin, because they do not know the Holy Creator. Righteousness, we need a righteousness that is not our own, that will be available to permit us into the presence of a holy God. And judgment, if we do not put our trust in Christ, we will be judged for all eternity. And however God broke that into your understanding, He's the one who did it. And He brought before you a full conviction, a settled understanding that you needed to turn away from your sin and reach out in faith and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. No man seeks after God, but he seeks after us. So, whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified. That means there was the legal declaration that we are no longer guilty. We cannot fall into a double jeopardy where we can be rejudged judicially again for our sin. We are brought to the place where we have a righteous standing before God because our sin was imputed to Christ. His righteousness was imputed to us. And now we stand in front of the Father appearing in the righteousness of Christ because we are in Him and He sees us through the righteousness of His own Son. That's justification. And then, the final link in this chain is glorification, which we have not experienced yet. But our bodies one day will be changed so that we will have a body like His. We will be completely glorified. And the Lord writes it in what's called the aorist tense. That means it is an event that in the divine plan of God has already been established and nothing can break it. So He can look at us and say, well, from my point of view, you're already glorified. Are you glorified from your own point of view? Are you glorified from the point of view of your mate? How about kids? Are your parents glorified? (laughs) You you have to see the the looks I'm getting. We can't answer that, Pastor. We have to go home with them. (laughs) They're not glorified yet, are they? No, because you guys know everything and they don't know anything. Right? Yeah, see? Now Pastor's on track. He's finally brought things back to where they belong. We are not glorified yet, but we will be. So, how do we know that things are working together for good? Oh my. This time is not working together for good. So we move on to the last. Oh, justification, glorification. 
because of God's passion. Because of God's passion. We are identified with the Son and everything the Father does for the Son will bring glory to Him and will honor Him and will exalt Him. And because of our relationship with the Son, the Father has to work all things for our good so that it all results in the good and the glory of the Son. Does that make sense? You may need to think about that for a while. You, you think about that when you get home, okay? I want you to go back to verse 28, and I want you to notice about this reality that the Lord is establishing before us. His very passion is to bring about this reality. He says this, And we know, all right? We have absolute knowledge because God said it. Can you believe everything that's said to you by people? No, we can't. Now, the one good place we can turn where everything is true is on the internet. Whatever you see on the internet, you can count that as being true. Oh my goodness. Can you see all the lies that are going on? Now, I am a relative conservative um, politically, okay? But I want to tell you, these conservatives are saying things about our president are, that are just not true. And they're trying to build a case that doesn't really, it's not built on a foundation of truth. My goodness, the truth is enough. Some of you will get that later. What we do know is that God's word is truth. There is no lie. Now, the Bible records lies, but it records them as lies. But God never lies. Thy word is truth. So we know that what God is telling us is absolutely true. It is a settled deal. And then he says this, And we know that all things, all things, the inclusive reality, now the whole process broadens to the point where you look at your life and you say something like this, Prosperity! That's good! Isn't it? <laughs> Do I have you all afraid to answer questions? Prosperity is good, isn't it? Okay. Adversity! That's bad. That's bad. Joy! That's good. Sorrow! That's bad. Peace! That's good. Suffering! That's bad. Now, I'm just trying to be honest here, and I think some of you are trying to make this more spiritual than it is. But there are things in life that are good, and there are things in life that are bad. And yet he says, we know that all things, the joy and the sorrow, the prosperity and the suffering, all these things Work together as we go on into the next portion of this verse. Notice what it says. Am I? There we go. This is a mysterious reality. He says this. 
that all these things in and of themselves may be good or may be bad, but he will take each one of them and cause it to work together ultimately for our good. If bad is brought into your life because you are living in sin, is it a good thing if suffering enters your life to bring you back into fellowship with the Lord? That's a good thing, isn't it? If, if prosperity is something you can't handle, you make it uh, something that is... Um, you, you, you're so self-centered and you're greedy... Wouldn't it be a good thing if the Lord said, you know what, you don't know how to handle this. I am going to take that away and put you into a realm that you can handle. Maybe a bit of poverty. And so what he says is, I can take everything that's happening in your life. By the way, the suffering helps us be conformed to the image of Christ. Does it not? And it produces virtues. Suffering ultimately produces patience. And so what we have is this promise. It, it's like, you all know what synergy is? Where you take two things and you put them together. And I forget exactly how the saying goes, but the, the product of the two things that are put together is greater than the sum of both of them. Does that make sense? It, synergy is a principle that's uh, developed in philosophy. It's developed in chemistry. Uh, let me give you an example. Sodium is not good for you. Chloride is not good for you. You put sodium and chloride together and what have you got? You have salt and your body needs salt. That's synergy. God says, you've got the good. You've got the bad. I bring it all together and I work it for your good. Think. He goes on to say that this is an, a selective reality. Notice, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. Now let's start at the back and, and work backwards. Those who are called according to his purpose, if you're not called according to his purpose, you're not a believer. And from the divine point of view, you really don't need to be worried. You do need to be concerned from your point of view. And I would say this, that if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't worry about the things that I've been talking about God's working. What you have to be focused on is, is He convincing you that you need the Savior and you need to respond? See, that's where some people become a little bit uh, uh, angry with folks like myself who believe in a sovereign God. And, and they say, oh, well, you don't believe in, in, in human decision. Absolutely, you've got to make the call. You have to decide. And if you choose not to, you have to suffer the consequences. But if you choose to accept Christ as Savior and you come to Him, He will in no wise cast you out. So the human responsibility is coupled beautifully with the divine plan. Coming back. Where am I here? A selective reality. If you don't love God, you're also not one of His. Do you love him? Do you love his word? 
Do you love communion with Him? Do you love fellowship with the saints? Do you love other saints? Is there anybody you can think of right now against whom you are harboring a heart of bitterness? Anyone? Name come to mind? That is a problem for you. That is not a reflection of God's love. You need to deal with that, especially before today. And then finally, this is a verified reality. How do we know? Do you remember Joseph? His brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but one of his brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to answer to dad if we do. Uh, let's, let's sell him. He's sold into slavery. He goes down into Egypt. He's falsely accused of uh, trying to seduce uh, Potiphar's wife. Um, he, he's thrown into jail. And he spends time in jail. And then, through a series of events that God sovereignly works, he is exalted to the second highest position in the country of Egypt. The day comes when his brothers have to come down to get food because of the famine that has taken place. And, and they bow before him. And then, their father dies. And then they're saying, Oh no! He's going to kill us now that our dad's dead. And they come in front of him and they are pleading for their lives. And he basically reaches down and picks them up and he says this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Have you ever had anything happen in your life that you would look at and say, oh, that was bad. And then later on you found out that was good. Anybody? My, my wife was proposed to by a couple guys. Not at the same time. By the way, she's up with our, grand, with our daughter and our grandson hasn't been born yet. Anyway, those guys proposing to her, that was bad. Then I proposed to her. That was good. And she can look back and say, all those heartbreaking times where I thought I was going to get married, but things didn't work out. The guy was a jerk, and he was a bum, and I never should have been hooked up with him anyway. And that was bad. And then here comes Brian. The absolute dream of my life. You notice she's not here. I am saying that now. Listen, we all can come to a place, honestly, we can verify this and say, there are things in my life that I looked at one time as being bad and God has worked them for good. Here's what I can assure you. Everything he is going to work for your good. Everything. Because you're part of his son. And if he didn't work it for your good, he'd be betraying his son because you're in his son. Do you get it? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you cannot count on everything working for good. You might experience some good things in life. You might say, you know what? I've experienced some wonderful things in life. Yes, because God has a general mercy and grace that he extends to all mankind. 
So you, you're going to receive some good things, but you have no promise that everything is going to work for your good. As a matter of fact, what you are under is what John said in chapter 3, verse 36. He that has the Son has life. And he that does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God didn't call me. I don't know whether he did or not. All I know is this. You are responsible to make a decision for Christ. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. And Father, we know that there are things that we've talked about today that are hard. And yet, Father, your word is your word. And I pray that rather than fighting it, we would embrace it and realize that as your people, we have the privilege of not only having your word in our hands, but having your son in our hearts. Thank you. Amen.